0: I recently read a newspaper article that related that starting this year, a financial literacy course will be a mandatory graduation requirement for students in Florida. The Florida Department of Education sees great benefits in developing this particular kind of literacy in students. Because you know we think highly of all literacies here at Rachel's World, it will come as no surprise that we also agree that financial literacy is pretty significant. Again, as with all literacies, financial literacy is something that we build over time, which means that we can't just start with high school graduation. It's clear that we want to see these skills building from early childhood on up. Starting this early to help kids build an understanding of how money works in the world is quite significant since research indicates that financial skills are often created by the age of seven. So if you agree with us and the folks in Florida that financial literacy is an important skill for your child's development, there are lots of ways you can address concepts of financial literacy with your children. First, is recommended that parents help children understand what money is and how it's used. Here, experts suggest that a good place to start building this understanding is for children to earn money so they can make their own spending decisions. Another part of this equation is for children to learn how to save money for larger, more important purchases in a way that allows us to have important conversations about needs versus wants. A piggy bank or a trip to the bank and a savings account in the child's name is a great way to start a habit of savings. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau also suggests that adults consider that whenever we use money, we are teaching children about it. So they recommend open and honest communication that allows us to talk with our children firsthand about our own financial goals and expectations. As children watch and listen, they will certainly learn from the financial literacy skills you have already developed as an adult, because here at Rachel's World, we know it's these foundations that lay the groundwork for children to have a solid foundation of good financial habits and values that will allow them to deal with money in positive ways.
2: Of all the subsets of society, children are the most vulnerable. Children need the most help. We start with their basic needs, food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. Soon after these priorities, we start addressing other vital needs, such as supportive relationships in their families and friendships. But a child's life can still be severely impoverished without the gifts of education and literacy. How do we impart these? How do we do better? Brad Wilcox is a professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Brigham Young University. He's lived in Utah, Ethiopia, and Chile, serving as an advocate for children and learning wherever he has gone. Brad Wilcox is Rachel Wadham's guest in this segment of World's Awaiting.
0: We're in studio today with Brad Wilcox, who is an expert in literacy. Welcome, Brad.
1: Thank you. It's great to be with you.
0: So tell me a little bit about why literacy matters.
1: I think literacy matters because it is how we see the world. It is how we view the world. It is how we make sense of the world. Sometimes when I go out into public schools and I work with schools all across the country, I've worked with some schools in some inner cities that have difficult challenges. I've worked with schools on uh, Native American reservations and have seen teachers with real challenges. And uh, I look at these classrooms and I wish I could wave a magic wand and I could give every child two parents. And I wish I could wave a magic wand and I could give every child uh, the security of knowing where his next meal's coming from. And I wish I could wave a magic wand and I could free children from neglect and abuse. But I can't. However, I can give them literacy, and as I give them literacy, then I'm giving them a lens through which they can see the good in their lives and a lens through which they can see how their lives compare to other lives so that they can start seeing what they can change. And... So I wish I could give every kid a great life, but we can't do that. But we can give them literacy, and that gives them a tool with which they can make sense of their lives and with which they can improve their lives.
0: That is a wonderful way to look at it because I – I truly believe in that kind of transformative sense of literacy, that being able to engage with our world on this broad level really transforms our lives in a very fundamental way. So how do we go about understanding that scope of literacy when it's it's much more broad than just maybe reading a, a book or something like that? Well,
1: I think one of the things we can do is remember that there are two modes of, of uh literacy there's a receptive mode and an expressive mode and the first balance we need to strike is between those two reading and writing see reading is seeing the world from the outside in we're taking what's outside and putting it putting it in and that's vital but it's also important to be able to see the world from the inside out to be able to discover what's inside of us and bring it out listening is a receptive language art... And speaking is an expressive language art, and one leads to the other. And so I think we've got to be able to find that balance. And when it comes to literacy, traditional literacy of reading and writing, we need to be able to help kids. And we've got to stop thinking about, well, I just need to help teach my kid to read. We also need to say, writing's an important part of this, and we need to give kids a chance to be able to express themselves. Did you ever see the movie, freedom writers
0: I did that's a wonderful movie
1: I always tell my students who are training to be teachers that they need to see that movie not just because it does a good job of telling a feel good teacher story about a teacher who makes a difference in inner city LA but it's how she makes the difference see these kids are up to here they're fed up to here with outside in don't give me one more rule don't give me one more assignment don't give me one more thing to read they want to bring it the other way. And when she finally recognizes that, she gives them journals and she says, this way you can write what you're learning, what you're thinking. You can write about your life. And if you want me to look at it, put it in the locker at the back of the room. And what happens? They all put it in the locker at the back of the room. Everybody. These are high school kids, but they're searching for that validation. They have lives full of meaning and full of problems and full of significance, and they want to share that. And they had never been given that opportunity because we've got to make sure that they learn this and this and this and this to get ready for the test. Well, I'm sorry, but a test isn't always the best way for kids to express themselves.
0: Most definitely. And I think with the balance of literacy, sometimes it's that expressive, creative part that we don't pay as much attention to Why do you think that is? Why do you think we spend less time on that more creative, expressive sense of literacy? Well,
1: in about the year 2000, no child got left behind. But writing got left behind. The arts got left behind. Expression got left behind. And I'm not knocking uh, the goals of that program or any program that's trying to help children – but I do think it's important that we remember that reading, writing, and arithmetic have always been the basics in American schools. When I look back at my own elementary school experience, what do I really remember? Well, I remember being in a little singing group and singing patriotic songs and doing our little actions. I remember a dance festival. I remember being in a play and being so excited when I got to – they put makeup on in a costume and we were going to go out and be in this little play. And I look at those experiences and I think, my goodness, so many of those experiences were artistic. They were expressive. I wonder now in schools if – children are having those same experiences and opportunities, or if we're leaving some of those sadly to the side in our rush to up the test scores.
0: Yeah, I think in some ways we are leaving those behind. And one of the things smart I... Smart teachers Smart aren't. teachers aren't. And yeah. they,
1: they, they're finding ways to integrate the arts with literacy. And so there are teachers who are really keeping that because they know how important it is. Uh, there are parents who are finding ways for children to be expressive as well as receptive. But it takes a very clever parent and a clever teacher to keep that balance when it's not built into the system. Yeah,
0: so how can we do that? How, Particularly as parents in the home, how can we build some of those activities or senses into our own home life.
1: Rachel, I think every parent can learn three words, and those three words are going to make a huge difference in the literacy level in the house, and that's to, with, and by. Reading to children, reading with children, and giving kids a little chance to read by themselves. Writing to children. What? Yeah, little notes to kids. Put it on the mirror. Put it on a pillow. Put it in a lunchbox. But write little notes to kids. Writing with kids. Hey, tell me what you want to tell grandma and I'll type it here in the, in the email that I'm writing. See, writing with kids and giving kids a little chance to write by themselves a journal. My, kid, uh, my daughter grew up loving to read and write and I just felt like the most successful parent in the world. Then along came my son. And he didn't want anything to do with books, nothing to do with writing, nothing to do with any of that. And I felt like such a failure. And my wife said, well, he's motivated by money, so let's pay him for every book he reads. Well, you know, being a teacher, I knew that that kind of external motivation wouldn't last. It would catch his attention for a day or two, but it wouldn't last. And so finally I thought, no, what he needs is time. So, and he needs books. If you want a kid to swim, you can't put an inch of water in the bottom of a swimming pool. you got to fill the pool. So we went down and we got tons and tons of books from the library and we put them all over his room. And then we sent him to bed a little early. He said, I'm not tired. Then read. I don't want to read. Then sleep. See, if the choice was read or sleep, then sometimes reading one. And then Mrs. Piggle Wiggle caught his attention. And pretty soon the Bernstein Bears caught his attention. And pretty soon he was reading. And it came down to giving him a little time. He had the model. My wife and I read to him. We read with him. We read his little school books that came home with him. But we hadn't given him time when the TVs turned off, when the computers turned off, when he could just Be with books. And that's when he started catching on to this whole magic of literacy. So let's remember to, with, and by, not just in reading, but in writing. Writing to kids, writing with kids, and giving kids a chance to write by themselves. And journal or letters are absolutely the best way ever. For kids to be able to have a moment when the spelling doesn't count too much and the, and they can – it doesn't have to, you know, be the nicest handwriting, but they can still get it out and have that chance to just – have the magic of getting it out. My little granddaughter's a kindergartner now, and it's so cute because she's realizing that she can communicate through writing. So the other day, her mom was busy talking on the phone, and she kept trying to get her mom's attention. And finally, she went and wrote her mom a note. And the letters, they don't even spell conventional words, but you can tell that she had something to say, and she went and just presented her mom with this note. And I think, well, how does she know to do that? Well, she's received notes from grandma, from grandpa, from mom, from dad, from caring teachers. And so she knows the power of literacy.
0: That is a wonderful story that really shows how when you make that connection between what is being communicated and how it's being communicated, just how it can open a world for a
1: child. Well, I love the title of this program, Worlds Awaiting. I think it's an awesome title because that's what literacy is. Literacy connects them to worlds awaiting.
0: Great thing to end on. Thank you so much for your time today, Brad. Thank you. Rachel talking with Brad Wilcox about how literacy, which
2: includes reading, writing in the arts, can open doors for children to worlds of learning and opportunity. Next, author of teen novels, Jennifer Nielsen, talks with Rachel about the joy she has experienced interacting with her fans and the satisfaction of helping them to want to read. She believes in the great power of what reading does for a young person, not for obvious reasons, but also in promoting their emotional and social health and well-being. Jennifer Nielsen is a New York Times best-selling author. Her books include The Ascendants Trilogy, Beginning with the False Prince, The Mark of the Thief series, and the forthcoming A Night Divided,
0: Here's Rachel and Jennifer. We're in studio with Jennifer today. Welcome, Jennifer. Oh, thank you very much. You know, one of the things that I think is exciting for authors today is the fact that there's so many opportunities to interact with your readers and to be able to get feedback from your works about how they're experiencing it. So how do you interact with your readers? I think this is the part of my career I take most seriously. And I know that every author is
3: different in terms of what time they can offer. And, you know, I have my limits and and stuff too. But But when it's a young person, I will give them as much time as I possibly can just because I know what that would have meant to me when I was young. And so, you know, I mean, online, you can always find me, you know, Twitter and Facebook and email me and mail and letters like that. And then I do a lot of events every year where I'm just out in the schools or out in the communities because I I very much value and respect
0: those opportunities. When you interact with your readers, what are some of the typical questions that they ask you? What are some of those things that they, they always want to know? You know, there's, there's really, there's three
3: types of students out there. There's the student out there who just doesn't think they're a reader. And so they're not really engaged. And I love these kids because I'll see them at the beginning of a school assembly and I'll kind of identify them in the audience because you can tell they are just... They they don't want to be there. And I'll be like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you on my side. By the end of this presentation, you are going to be engaged. And I will watch them very, very carefully. There are the students who, you know, write, writing and reading, it's all fine and stuff. But they're really just going to ask the questions that... Uh, Just keep them out of class longer. And that's all the typical ones. And that's, you know, what inspired you to write this series? And, you know, all of those same questions that authors get asked a lot. And then there is the component of, of student who knows me or knows my work or they want to become a writer themselves. And to them, I will give everything I possibly can in terms of you have me right here in front
0: of you. What is it I can do to push you further along in your goals? I love that sense because really is true that different readers come to works in different ways with different expectations. One of the things I love about your work is that that you really have strong male characters. And I think that sometimes, particularly for young boys, having a strong male character is a great thing for them if they're a reluctant reader. So have you seen instances where maybe one of those ones that is not the reader that's sitting in the assembly has actually become a reader because of your books? You know what? I met a girl just yesterday. It was actually really funny. They're
3: building a house near me. And I was just visiting and I happened to mention something about writing that I, I wrote or that I mean, it came up. And they're like, Oh, what titles? And I said, the name of one of my titles, and this girl, she was 13, just starts screaming right in the middle of the street. And she's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And it was so funny. And she was reading. She had just finished um, one of my series, and um, like the whole family had been reading it. And she's like, I don't even like reading, but I love these books. And it was so awesome. And her mom was standing there, and her mom was just like, thank you for doing this, Um, the, The incredible thing is that I don't think we necessarily understand the full power of what reading does for a young person. It is so much more than just vocabulary acquisition or literacy. What it does for the child emotionally and for their stress levels and for their academic levels and their social bonding is extraordinary. I cannot think of a career
0: that for me would provide more meaning. And I think that's a wonderful way to look at it because there is so much of that story and how that helps us just be better human beings that is so much a part of it. So I personally am grateful that you were part of that and that you've added so so much to this canon. When you interact with your readers, I'm sure there's something that surprised you. And you're like, oh, I never thought of that. So what's been surprising in these interactions? Um, you know, there have been... Um you know,
3: just people who maybe didn't realize who I was until they're in the moment, like, you know, the conversation yesterday, and then they're screaming in the street. But I'll tell you, it's not so much the funny, it's the it's the serious. It's the serious moments because I know that there are teachers out there and parents and these people who do care about and love children. They are saying all of these things. But for me to come in and interact with a child who loves me because they love one of my books, I, I respect if I say it they are going to listen. So for example, I met a young man. All right. It was, he would have been eighth or ninth grade down in the South and he was waiting in line for um, one of my books and he was waiting with a person I thought, I think she's a little old to be mom. I think she's grandma but it was a very familiar relationship and I'm just kind of watching this as they're moving forward in line and I thought, why is this such a familiar relationship? And I thought, I bet he lives with her which made me wonder about mom and dad and I didn't know and um They got up to the line, and I signed the book, and the signature line was, Face the Wind. And I said to him, I said, Do you know what this means? And he shook his head. He didn't know. And I said, All right, Face the Wind. It means when you're in a windstorm and all of that stuff is coming at you, your instinct is to turn away, put your back to the wind, and turn to where it's easier. And I said, I know you are going through hard stuff right now in your life. And I says, I'm telling you, you have to face the wind. You have to turn into what is hard, and you have to deal with it. You cannot turn away from this. And I don't know what the situation was. I still to this day don't know. I do know that his grandma found me about two or three minutes later and just closed me in this huge hug. And there was something that happened in that moment that she had probably told him a dozen times. He just needed to hear it from somebody else.
0: That is the power of an author interaction with a strong reader. You're going to make me cry. This is so, so wonderful because I I have had those interactions. You have. And, and I know you have as well. And it really is just I don't think we can truly explain it. I don't think science will ever explain it. But it is such a powerful, powerful thing. So maybe share with us a little bit about who were some of those authors that had this power for you? Who were those authors that impacted you in this way as a reader? You know,
3: when I was young, I loved reading. I was reading books all the time, but none of the authors – I never looked at the author name. I was just the book, and I never connected an actual person had written that until sixth grade. And sixth grade, I discovered The Outsiders by Essie Hinton, and I loved the book. I read it on a loop. I mean, I can still quote whole passages from the book. I read it so often. And it was the first book where I wondered about who she was as an author. And so I looked her up, and I thought, I realized she was writing this as a teenager. And a teenager was a real person uh, to me as a a sixth grader. And I thought, if Essie Hinton could be a writer— I could be a writer, and uh, it was funny. About a year ago, Essie Hinton did a Goodreads chat, and I wasn't part of the chat, but I got on and looked at the transcript after line after line. It was one person, Essie Hinton. I am a writer today because of you, dear Essie Hinton. I am a writer today because of you, and at the very end, I added my note, dear Essie Hinton. I am a writer today because of you. That
0: is wonderful. I think, really, if we look in our lives, that kind of impact that books and authors have had on our life is is stunning and it really makes our life richer for it and can take us down a wonderful career path like, like
3: you have. Well, I think I think it's very important, you know, if, if you're – I mean, if you're a child with any aspiration, you need to see somebody doing that thing and succeeding at it and looking the child in the eye and saying, I know you – can do the same thing that I am doing. This is a possibility for you. And we all start there, whatever it is that we create. You know, if you're a young artist, you want to look at art that other people have created and then you kind of base your art on theirs and then you learn skills. And, you know, people who are cooks, they start with recipes and then they create. We all have to start somewhere. And so, yeah, if I've written something that prompts a young reader
0: to start writing, that is awesome. And I think that is the awesome thing, too. As we close today... What do you think would be like the one tip or the one piece of advice or the one message that you'd like to to send out to your fans out there?
3: <laughs> if uh, if you have been a fan of any of my books, this is my message. It starts with thank you because I am nothing without you and and your enthusiasm and your loyalty to me. And just know that I will always, always put out books as long as
0: you are there to read them. Well, I will always be there to read them because I love your books. So you've got at least one reader, but I think you'll have many other readers. You know, Rachel, you might be just enough to keep me (laughs) there. Well, that's good. Well, thank you.
2: I appreciate that. Jennifer Nielsen talking with Rachel about her great satisfaction in being an author and helping her young readers boost their desire to read. We finish up the show today with Rita Wright, director of the Springville Museum of Art in Utah who talks to me about the importance of great art for children and caring adults. She also shares tips on how to make your visit to an art museum more enjoyable and meaningful.
4: I think the first thing we have to do is recognize we want them to make connections from their personal lives with the works of art. If a museum starts feeling elitist or people feel put off by what they're experiencing at a museum, then they're not as likely to enjoy it as children or as parents to bring their children as community members to want to engage. From the minute they step in or they approach in the parking lot, whether it's on a school bus or walking with their family or sometimes we get teenagers walking here. There is something about this building itself that kind of reaches out and gives them a hug. The materials of the building are very warm, inviting. It's got that Spanish colonial revival feel, so we've got tile, stucco. There is a sensory experience that grabs them as soon as they get here. The next thing we want to do is make sure they've got some human contact. We've got our great um, front desk people who welcome them, greet them. We have staff members who are there if they're on a tour, but we want them to know that this is not just a sterile environment where they are expected to get it by themselves right off the bat. We want them to have that connection to a person who will then help connect them to the art. And then, of course, we Either have them here for an event, something special that's going on, or we have them here because they want to go on a tour, or because they want to wander. Sometimes that is the best experience. We acknowledge that you might just want to come in here, wander, and respond to the sights, the, the feelings that you're getting just by being in this environment. Why is it important for children to interact with great art? What's so special about art? <laughs> well, first of all, it's an important cultural heritage. And that's something that, that children need to be fully developed and, and to just have that connection to the great traditional heritage that we have locally and throughout the world. I, I love it when I travel to different museums. I'll go in the Louvre, I'll go in the British Museum and see groups of kids sitting there sketching or being engaged I think that's huge.
2: How can parents and children prepare for their visits here or to another museum? And what are some tips and tricks that parents can use to make the, the
4: visit more positive? I think it's a little bit like approaching a cold pond. The best thing is to just dive in. Have the curiosity as you drive by. I see parents with strollers going by my window. Just risk it. If it's not something you're comfortable with, Come in and then let us take it from there, engage you, engage the kids. This is about developing and sharing with the whole child, but it's also about a sense of joy. It's a place they can come and feel and look and experience together. A museum is a place of experience, and parents want their children to experience all that the world has to offer. A museum is a place of experience.
2: Rita Wright, director of the Springville Museum of Art in Utah, talking about the importance of children interacting with great art. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.